We want to take a second to thank you for supporting Womance by listening to our podcast. One great way that you can continue supporting us, including those listens, is hitting subscribe, telling a friend, leaving a review. That stuff all really matters. Sharing it on your personal social media is another great way to spread the word about Womance. And another option for supporting us, if we may be so bold, is to recommend going to our Patreon, where you can donate as little as a dollar a month to help us spread the word of woe. If you want to contribute more than a dollar a month which obviously no pressure whatever you've got we are so appreciative to have but we have awesome gifts for you if you want a hand addressed letter from morgan and isabeau maybe with some special whoa stickers other merch just uh, visit our patreon we are womance on patreon or is it patreon.com forward slash womance we would be very proud to call you one of our patrons You know it exactly. Um, but today, we're talking about Womance's public access read-along with Jane Austen. Uh, the story we're reading together is Pride and Prejudice. I'm your even chapter reader, Isabeau. I'm your odd chapter reader, Morgan. This week, we're reading chapter 32, which means Morgan's going to tell us what happened last time. Okay, so we all know that Lizzie is visiting her friend who married Mr. Collins, and that means they have to go to dinners at Lady Catherine de Berg. Catherine de Berg's house all the time. And this time they go, and guess who's there? Mr. Darcy! Why? And he's joined by his cousin, Colonel Fitzwilliam. And Lizzie and Darcy have a little have a little chat, have a little tete-a-tete. And uh, Catherine de Berg sucks. I think that brings us up to date. <laughs> sure does. It's perfect. No notes. Great. Chapter 32. <clears throat> Elizabeth was sitting by herself the next morning and writing to Jane while Mrs. Collins and Mariah were gone on business into the village when she was startled by a ring at the door, the certain signal of a visitor. As she had heard no carriage, she thought it not unlikely to be Lady Catherine, and under the apprehension was putting away her half-finished letter that she might escape all impertinent questions when the door opened, and to her very great surprise, Mr. Darcy and Mr. Darcy only entered the room. He seemed astonished, too, on finding her alone and apologized for his intrusion by letting her know that he had understood all the ladies to be within. They then sat down, and when her inquiries after Rosings were made, seemed in danger of sinking into total silence. It was absolutely necessary, therefore, to think of something, and in this emergence, recollecting when she had seen him last in Hertfordshire, and feeling curious to know what he would say on the subject of their very hasty departure. She observed, How very suddenly you all quitted Netherfield last November, Mr. Darcy. It must have been a most agreeable surprise to Mr. Bingley to see you all 
after him so soon, for if I recollect right, he went but the day before. He and his sisters were, well, I hope, when you left London. Perfectly so, I thank you. She found that she was to receive no other answer, and after a short pause added, I think I have understood that Mr. Bingley has not much idea of ever returning to Netherfield again. I have never heard him say so, but it is probable that he may spend very little of his time there in future. He has many friends, and he is at a time of life when friends and engagements are continually increasing. If he means to be but little at Netherfield, it would be better for the neighborhood that he should give up the place entirely, for then he might possibly get a settled family there. But perhaps Mr. Bingley did not take the house so much for the convenience of the neighborhood as for his own, and we must expect him to keep or quit it on the same principle. I should not be surprised, said Darcy, if he were to give it up as soon as any eligible purchase offers. Elizabeth made no answer. She was afraid of talking longer of his friend and having nothing else to say, was now determined to leave the trouble of finding a subject to him. He took the hint and soon began with, This seems a very comfortable house. Lady Catherine, I believe, did a great deal to it when Mr. Collins first came to Hunsford. I believe she did, and I am sure she could not have bestowed her kindness on a more grateful subject. Mr. Collins appears very fortunate in his choice of a wife. Yes, indeed. His friends may well rejoice in his having met with one of the very few sensible women who would have accepted him or have made him happy if they had. My friend had as an excellent understanding, though I am not certain that I consider her marrying Mr. Collins as the wisest thing she ever did. She seems perfectly happy, however, and in prudential light, it is certainly a very good match for her. It must be very agreeable to her to be settled within so easy a distance of her own family and friends. An easy distance, do you call it? It is nearly 50 miles. <laughs> and what is 50 miles of good road? Truly. Little, <laughs> little more than half a day's journey. Yes, I call it a very easy distance. I should never have considered the distance as one of the advantages of the match, cried Elizabeth. I should never have said Mrs. Collins was settled near her family. It is a proof of your own attachment to Hertfordshire. Anything beyond the very neighborhood of Longbourn, I suppose, would appear far. And got her there. <laughs> he really did. She got herself out. As he spoke, there was a sort of smile which Elizabeth fancied she understood. He must be supposing her to be thinking of Jane and Netherfield, and she blushed as she answered, I do not mean to say that a woman may not be settled too near her family. The far and the near must be relative and depend on many varying circumstances. Where there is fortune to make the expenses of traveling unimportant, distance becomes no evil. But that is not the case here. Mr. and Mrs. Collins have a comfortable income, but not such a one as will allow for frequent journeys. And I am persuaded my friend would not call herself near her family under less than half the present distance. Mr. Darcy drew his chair a little towards her and said, you cannot have a right to such a very strong local attachment. You cannot have been always at Longbourn. Elizabeth looked surprised. The gentleman experienced some change of feeling. He drew back his chair, took a newspaper from the table, and glancing over it, said in a colder voice, Are you pleased with Kent? Short dialogue on the subject of the country ensued. On either side, calm and concise, and soon put an end to by, an, by the entrance of Charlotte and her sister just returned from their walk. 
the tete-a-tete surprised them. Mr. Darcy related the mistake which had occasioned his intruding on Miss Bennet, and after sitting a few minutes longer without saying much to anybody, went away. What could be the meaning of this, said Charlotte, as soon as he was gone. My dear Eliza, he must be in love with you, or he would never have called on us in this familiar way. But when Elizabeth told of his silence, it did not seem very likely, even to Charlotte's wishes, to be the case, and after various conjectures, they could at last only suppose his visit to proceed from the difficulty of finding anything to do, which was the more probable from the time of year. All field sports were over. Within doors there was Lady Catherine, books, and a billiard table, but gentlemen cannot be always within doors, and in the nearness of the parsonage, or the pleasantness of the walk to it, or the people who lived in it, the two cousins found a temptation from this period of walking thither almost every day. They called at various times of the morning, sometimes separately, sometimes together, and now and then accompanied by their aunt. It was plain to them all that Colonel Fitzwilliam came because he had the pleasure of their society, a persuasion which, of course, recommended him still more. And Elizabeth was reminded by her own satisfaction in being with him, as well as by his evident admiration of her, of her former favorite, George Wickham. And though in comparing them, she saw there was less captivating softness in Colonel Fitzwilliam's manners, she believed he might have the best informed mind. Hmm. But why Mr. Darcy came so often to the parsonage, it was more difficult to understand. It could not be for society, as he frequently sat there ten minutes together without opening his lips, and when he did speak, it seemed the effect of necessity rather than of choice, sacrifice to propriety, not a pleasure to himself. Mm. He seldom appeared really animated. Mrs. Collins knew not what to make of him. Colonel Fitzwilliam's occasionally laughing at his stupidity proved that he was generally different, which her own knowledge of him could not have told her. And... As she would have liked to believe this change, the effect of love and the object of that love, her friend Eliza, she set herself seriously to work it to to work to find it out. She watched him whenever they were at Rosings and whenever he came to Hunsford, but without much success. He certainly looked at her friend a great deal, but the expression of that look was disputable. It was an earnest, steadfast gaze, but she often doubted whether there were much admiration in it, and sometimes it seemed nothing but absence of mind. She had once or twice suggested to Elizabeth the possibility of his being partial to her, but Elizabeth always laughed at that idea. Mrs. Collins did not think it right to press the subject, for the danger of raising expectations, which might only end in disappointment. For in her opinion, it admitted not of a doubt that all her friend's dislike would vanish if she could suppose him to be in her power. Hmm. In her kind schemes for Elizabeth, she sometimes planned her marrying Colonel Fitzwilliam, He was beyond comparison the pleasantest man. He certainly admired her, and his situation in life was was most eligible. But to counterbalance these advantages, Mr. Darcy had considerable patronage in the church, and his cousin could have none at all. Hmm. Very interesting to get Charlotte's perspective Mm -hmm. in chapter 32 here at the tail end. You know, I, I've been watching, I recently rewatched the 2005 Pride and Prejudice. I also have been working my way through the miniseries and I'm at the Rosings portion. Mm-hmm. And first of all, Colonel Fitzwilliam in the miniseries is so dreamy. Mm-hmm. He's very cute. I think I've said this before. But like this part about them like repeatedly visiting the parsonage doesn't come up in either of those uh, adaptations, Mm-mm. which I think is really interesting. Like in 2005, there's like one very, the first 
meeting, but it's greatly truncated. Contracted. Yeah, it's very small. Yeah, and so, which adds to the drama of it. But it's, it's interesting that this kind of slow unfolding of Darcy's affection mm-hmm. doesn't really get much play in the kind of public imagination, the general, the gen pop version of this book. I thought it was interesting that when he says that you have, you can have no right to local affection. What is the line that he says? He says, he draws his chair near her. You cannot have a right to such a very strong local attachment. You cannot have always been at Longbourn. And then Elizabeth looks surprised because like, indeed she has. She was born at Longbourn. She was educated at Longbourn. She's never really gone anywhere other than London. Town, (laughs) right? The town. (laughs) Yeah. And 50 miles is very far and you can't consider it near unless it's under 25. Like, she has revealed herself to have an incredibly parochial existence. And it surprises Darcy. Yeah, he thinks she's worldly. Yeah. Which is a nice thing to be thought of. (laughs) Right. And, like, it's like he thinks that entirely based on their very few exchanges and the fact that she likes to read so much. And I think partially it must be because she's not intimidated by wealth. Mm, Yeah. Right? Like, the way that she acts... In Netherfield, the way that she acts to him, the way that she acts to Caroline Bingley, the way that she acts around Catherine de Bourgh, it does feel more worldly because it isn't overawed by gentry or class. That's a really good point. It made me think of that This American Life episode where there was like, I can't remember if he was secretly conservative or secretly liberal but he was in a community that had an oppositional political ideology to him. And he said, you know, he got away with, got away with it, air quotes. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to have confrontational conversations as long as he kind of just like went along with it. And he said, because if people like you, they assume you think the same way they do. <sighs> that's, that's good. Yeah, that is true, though. And that, yeah. That is true. And I think, like, Darcy was not impressed by Longburn and the community. And so he just assumes Elizabeth must hate it, too. And that she's ready to get out. And that she's ready to get out. Yeah. He's he's starting to... He's starting to create a narrative of her in his mind. Mm -hmm. Perhaps Darcy isn't the only projector screen. (laughs) I think, like... I think what's delighting to me about this little moment where we learn something about him through his interaction with her Mm. is that he's embarrassed that he's wrong and I think like we could read into it that there's even more that like potentially he's disappointed but I think what you just said about like he's building a narrative of Elizabeth Mm -hmm. and then it's like just been countermanned by her and he doesn't like it Mm -hmm. and I think that's like one of that's it's so honest (laughs) (laughs) it is like what a what a perfect encapsulation of an experience that we have of people when it's like, yeah, we build entire narratives. Mm-hmm. And then they say something and we're like, oh, it's per- that isn't what I wanted or expected. <laughs> isn't what I wanted is exactly right. I think like sometimes you also get it when certain people agree with you. And then you're like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. What does this say about me? 
No, I mean, but me in a different way, like totally different way. <laughs> it's fine. I, um, my husband was like, you're so anti-libertarian, but you are a libertarian. And I was like, I, and I was like, no, I'm not. I just don't think we should have any government besides stoplights. <laughs> kind of are. I hated it. He pointed out all these things that I I kind of am a libertarian about. And I was like, that's so mean of you. Never, never show me myself again. But I like, I think like what's also interesting about Darcy having this experience is that Lizzie has this experience every time someone, a third party reveals something nice about Darcy, because she too has her own narrative. And it's very unflattering. But he seems to be, like, shuffling his understanding of her in line with his understanding of himself. And she's doing the me and libertarianism thing. It's like Darcy also likes books. And she's like, oh, I've never liked books. Yeah. (laughs) Books are dumb. And, like, what's great about this scene, too, is, like, he, like, gives... He's trying to give uh, Mrs. Collins a compliment. Mm Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, the house is very well appointed. They seem happy. And she's like, yeah, I mean, Mrs. Collins is the best that Mr. Collins was ever going to do. And, like, thank God he married her for himself because, like, otherwise it would have been a silly and terrible woman. But, I mean, I don't think this is the smartest thing my friend's ever done. Like, it's... Yeah. Like, that wasn't the conversation that I imagined that Darcy thought he was going to have, where it's like, that's actually quite a mean thing to say to someone. 100%. Darcy is just being nice. Like, he knows what Mr. Collins is. I think you sent me, or I sent you this TikTok where this guy made kind of an interesting argument that, like, what we consider, like, literature, capital L, versus, like, popular literature, Mm -hmm. lowercase l, I would say, is is the plot, right? Like, things in, um, like, romance, especially horror, science fiction, the thing that's propelling and like central to the story is the plot right the the things that happen whereas like i don't know cormac mccarthy is actually writing about like psyche nothing could happen over the course of a capital l book but like a lot of stuff would be going on Mm -hmm. but i think pride and prejudice is such a great example of how much stuff is going on in plot Mm -hmm. like darcy and uh repeatedly showing up at the parsonage says a lot and not just about how Darcy is feeling but it says a lot about like the social expectations and mores of the time it says a lot about the other characters there's so much going on here and I mean it's like unfair to say this about I mean it's not unfair Mm -hmm. it's not cut it's not interesting to say this about Pride and Prejudice right but it is still something that exists in romance novels today that I think doesn't get enough airtime Except on our show. It's true. (laughs) Honestly, you and I are doing the hardest work. (laughs) I am... My back is so sore from carrying this genre. It's just you and me holding it down on this podcast. This genre on my shoulders. No, but I think Pride and Prejudice is one of those examples of, like, definitely accepted as capital L literature. But so much of it is plot. Yeah. People, you know, people complain about the plot being repetitive, but... They, they they have no joy in their lives. Also, they're just not reading it well. <laughs> I think that's one of the things about like having it 
read to me and reading it out loud, A, it forces me to take more time. Like I'm a slower reader out loud than I would be in my own mind. And it forces you to close read. Mm -hmm. And these chapters just like chip, right? Like if I were reading this by myself, like I could eat like, you know, 15 chapters in in a sitting. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Right. But like having to do it slowly over time gives me the space to just see how deft and careful and smart and incredibly taught these scenes are. And like Darcy shows up and he just keeps showing up and he doesn't say anything. And his cousin makes fun of him for not saying anything. And like he he stares at Elizabeth, but it doesn't even look like he's happy to look at her. And like and we're seeing that whole exchange through Charlotte's eyes, who wants a romance between them. And there's so much dissonance and irony between like what's literally happening and what's ulterior like the opposite is happening on like the low the below decks <laughs> yeah. As it were. yeah so good it's so good i mean look you heard it here folk first folks <laughs> right and prejudice by jane austen is a good book hot take expect to get a lot of flack for that <laughs> some meme i know i expect to you know <laughs> why you come here for the cutting edge hot takes cutting edge 1814 (laughs) yeah but this is one of those chapters that really gets like just fully shunted well not fully but mostly like kicked off the screen and that's too bad because like a little montage of uncomfortable Darcy. I think that's it. That's like one of the things that I loved about the Matthew McFadden in comparison to the Colin Firth. It like it really brought out how awkward Darcy is. Like he is mm-hmm. socially inept and what's worse is that he knows it. Mr. Collins does not think of himself as socially inept. And like that's part of where that awkward comes from is like someone who's like I know I'm not good at this. I'm still going to do it because I have to do it. It's expected and I hate it. But also I want to do it well and can't seem to. Yeah. And like, that's like this, right? Like Fitzwilliam is just like regaling the ladies and like talking up his like well-informed brain. And like Darcy's literally just sitting there staring at Elizabeth or out the window, not speaking for minutes at a time. Yeah. Colonel Fitzwilliam really provides something that I enjoy in romance. Um, I think Mm. Whitney, My Love by Judith McNaught does a great job of this, uh, which is, or, Mm -hmm. you know, The Windflower by Laura London, which is, other great options. <laughs> yes, plausible second choices that the uh, female protagonist could get into. Yeah, and they're always just like um, like Baxters, right? Like the guy who gets left at the altar. Like they're all winsome. Yes. And, and charming. And they serve to humble mm-hmm. the, the main guy who like, for all intents and purposes, has so much power over Elizabeth. But in these, like, little windows of time, he is bereft. Like, he thought she was worldly. (laughs) And that she was ready to leave home. Yeah, which says a lot about him. Mm -hmm. Way more about him than it does about her. And so I love that Fitzwilliam is here. And if if I were given the chance to adapt this, I would you know, get a real cutie pie to represent Cousin Fitzwilliam and have him 
in a lot more. Yeah, do do a series of montages with Darcy just awkwardly crossing and recrossing his leg silently and like picking lint off his knee. I'd figure out a way to get him shirtless. <laughs> just for good measure. I mean, if Poldark can do it. Bending over to pick up something. I don't working know. in the field with his horse. <laughs> yeah, we just... Yeah, there would be this whole pole dark, <laughs> one for one subplot huh. with Colonel Fitzwilliam. I'm into it. I, you, we should write it. We'd make so much money with PBS Masterpiece. <laughs> and our wigs and our costumes would be period appropriate. You wouldn't be able to see the zippers. Oh, calm down. You get me started. All right. I well, any other thoughts? No, that was great. All right. With that. Loosen your prejudices. But never your prides. (laughs) 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 Wooly guacamole, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of Womance. Womance is hosted, produced, and edited by my friend Morgan. And by my friend Isabel. Our logo artwork is by another friend, Mary Reichman. You can find her on Instagram at m.reichman, spelled R-E-I-S-C-H-M-A-N-N. Original music by Nick Gravelin. And our webmistress is Jane Bonzak. They're the best. You're also the best. We so appreciate your support by listening. Please consider taking this to the next level by following, rating, and reviewing. We read every single review. Or even check us out on Patreon. If you'd like more woe in your life, you can connect with us on Instagram at womance and on Twitter where we are at mans underscore woe. Or you can find more episodes and content at womancepodcast.com. If you have an idea or just want to reach out, please email womancemail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Womance is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to add to your romance collection at frolic.media backslash podcasts. Until next time.